Welcome on to Dunked On, another really exciting day of games, uh, two real close ones that we got to talk about, San Antonio, Philly, and Denver, and OKC. Also, the two top rookies matching up with John Morant and Zion Williamson in a key matchup between Memphis and New Orleans that we'd all been pointing to. And then also, we got to get into Toronto and Miami. Always really interesting uh, when those two teams get together as well, and we'll, of course, uh, catch you up a little bit on all of the latest developments from the Orlando bubble and let's begin though with this Spurs Philly game awesome awesome game you and I did it for NBA League Pass a a lot of fun on the influencer stream thanks to all of those who shared something on social media or tuned in the reviews continue to be really good from the NBA and of course if you listened yesterday you know that we actually have three more games coming up as well we'll tell you more about those in a moment but let's talk a little bit about this basketball game should we go like broad view first you want to talk about the end let's let's go a little bit broad view broad view first I, I think that th- there were a lot of big structural advantages for Philadelphia in this game like yeah. Joel Embiid does in fact have a big structure I, I agree with that he he very much does and the combination like we saw in the Indiana game of eight an opponent that has only one center who isn't particularly physically well suited to guard him and then a limited set of backups and this we even saw a little bit of Tyler Zeller in this game that can be important and also just I mean San Antonio, the, the, some some like their overall talent level to me is not quite at the same level of Philly. Though Philly was missing GR three and um, I'm forgetting the other guy who was Mike out. Scott. Mike Scott, yeah, and Kyle Quinn was out, but that's I don't think he was going to be a big part of this one in the first place. And so, so you, you saw that, and, you, and there were moments where you absolutely saw. I mean, especially in the beginning of the second half, where you saw that come into play. But what San Antonio deserves a ton of credit for was. Like in the Memphis Memphis game, they they did better on the offensive boards than I expected in a couple different ways. But also, they just made a ton of shots. Like, I mean, San Antonio, 12 of 22 from mid-range. And there was a period, it ended up falling short from both sides, where both teams had 50, 40, 90 going. San Antonio, 12 of 26 on three-pointers, fueled by Derek White. Yeah, White uh, had a ridiculous stretch there in the fourth quarter that elicited a bit of a whoop from yours truly uh, which culminated in a a four-point play also played as usual stout defense uh, with extremely quick feet Uh, so yeah I think the biggest takeaway for me we got asked during the cast of you know what are the things that could happen in the bubble development wise for the Spurs that really encourage you and I said well you know some of them are already happening and that is that Derek White is really shooting the three ball with a ton of confidence and his pick and roll numbers were already pretty good and I thought you know it must be a fluke because a lot of that is just his jump shooting off the dribble but he really continued it here and he spaced it out to three really taking a lot of difficult shots with very little hesitation and you know I don't think DeRozan is going to be a part of this group that much going forward though uh, he has been excellent down the stretch uh, really in all three of these games he's played extremely well so but when they get to more of a conventional group out there you know maybe Derek White could eventually evolve into something uh, approaching a primary ball handler as you like to say and you know they think the other Spurs guys Keldon Johnson to me looked really good as well he really impressed with his pace in the half court he's a very smart cutter held up pretty well defensively against Tobias Harris and you know Lonnie Walker hasn't looked as good DeJounte Murray had had 21 in the last game he wasn't as good tonight but did some nice things other than uh his defense on the final possession as we'll get to but uh yeah all these young guys look better than they had and that obviously is the reason why the Spurs are here and what what they're trying to focus on as a group oh that's true and I will echo all of it but I want to get a little bit to the 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 shot making not necessarily the shot creation in this one though there were moments of that but DeRozan 11 of 20 from the field including a made three-pointer you and I were both stunned in in the first half of this game DeRozan had that and he had 17 points in the first half then had zero points in the third quarter and then put up 13 in the fourth part of San Antonio's 43 point fourth quarter because there were two different stretches of the game where I talked about the structural advantages early on and the, the part of the reason why I did is because in my brain the way this game went was Philly got out to a lead and you just go okay that's just where it's gonna go they have a talent advantage I think it was like eight points in the first half and then something like 13 in the, in the second half and then San Antonio just clawed back their defense got a little bit better they made a few extra shots Philly stagnated a little bit typically on offense and then the defense got a little less crisp and I think a part of that so San Antonio immense credit to them for for continuing to fight back and do it largely on a jump shot basis because that's what they had to do when at least when when Joel Embiid was on the floor. And 
Horford much better defensively in this one than he was in their loss against Indiana. Yes. But I think part of what has hurt, what hurts Philly's stability, I get asked a lot about like Philly blowing leads and being so stable, is that, you know, like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as offensive engines are not the most consistent or not the most reliable. And this was a pretty rough game from Ben Simmons. It was disjointed because he was in foul trouble, but he didn't look great defensively. He Rudy, he struggled to contain Rudy Gay, you know, similar, some, and sometimes similar yeah. play sets to the problems that he had with TJ Warren. And then offensively, he never got in any sort of rhythm. No, he didn't. And the foul trouble uh, didn't help him. He got his fifth right by the end of the third quarter. Um, another thing a commenter noted that I agree with is we have not seen Ben Simmons really pushing the break uh, getting out in transition i don't think that has anything to do with the quote-unquote position change which i continue to maintain is a little overblown at this point in time so yeah philly i think we could talk about them a little bit more at the end here san antonio you know i mean their shooting was just absolutely out of this world from mid-range as well they really were, were making everything and they also actually beat philadelphia on the offensive glass which is completely inexcusable when you're starting demar Derozan at power forward for philly that's really ugly um but the end of the game i mean it's really it's got to just be considered a a massive disappointment for san antonio why why don't we just kind of take you through a little bit at the end where san antonio had clawed back they actually led it by four as DeRozan hit a tough layup to put him up four. Embiid made a 15-footer. DeRozan came right back with a 13-footer. Joel Embiid assisted Tobias Harris uh, on a cutting dunk. Harris had some nice cuts in this game. Yes, he did. Absolutely. And then DeJounte Murray missed a, a jumper. Joel Embiid got into the post, did his little rip-through move. Jakob Pertl fouled him, as he often did. And Embiid missed the second free throw. So Spurs are up. They barely, barely avoid a turnover with DeJounte Murray at half court. They get to Derek White. He only makes one out of two. So it's a two-point lead with 10.4 remaining. And we talked about, like, what are your two options if you're Philly on the cast? We're talking about this in, in real time. It's a good reason to watch it, actually, if you want to catch our next game. And so the two options are you want to look for a three. That's something that you brought up because the math is shooting a three when you're open down two works better than going into overtime. So your options are maybe try to run a play for a three and then if that's not open you use the gravity of that their fear that they might give up the game winning shot to try to open something up from two point range your other option is you try to get it into Embiid who was dominant when they actually decided to throw him the ball down there but your problem there is it can be kind of hard to get it into the post sometimes they can front they can pressure the passer they can send weak side help to take it away and so if you try to enter it and that doesn't work then you know maybe enough time is run out that you don't have time to get a good look and so they did go with that second option brought Al Horford to the foul line went for some high low action which is something that they really like doing at the end of games I think it was earlier in the year against Miami that they ran a similar action to get a deep post up for Embiid and he got fouled and so DeJounte Murray is guarding the inbounder who is Jake Milton 40% three-point shooter DeJounte Murray basically sprints into the lane to prevent the pass to Joel Embiid and Horford recognizes it throws it to Jake Milton and Jake Milton has time to take a dribble and just shoot a wide open three to win the game with uh with six seconds left although the Spurs did miss a a final shot at the rim at the end yeah and the the decision making process there for Murray is is troublesome because the two-pointer would have sent it to overtime and I mean he didn't he wouldn't have done a lot to help that I mean he could have made the pass harder I guess and also because Al Horford doesn't get tunnel vision this this isn't a player whose limitations you can take advantage of and so giving Shake Milton a very capable shooter a wide a wide open shot and all day to take it it it's tough it's a it's a tough thing to take for for the Spurs and then on that last play we were kind of wondering how they were going to approach it I was surprised to see Jakob Pertl on the floor because I guess you want a little bit of screening because remember Philly yeah. is only well, up why one. not space out and beat right I mean and then on the previous possession they had gone to that when they because Pirtle is a horrendous foul shooter so they had Rudy Gay on the floor I thought they'd go back to that again like why not space out Joel Embiid and they didn't do that and then what happened on that play was DeMar DeRozan drove he didn't really have a shooting angle so he tried to do an interior pass to Pirtle but there were so many 76ers in the area that while it wasn't Embiid who made this up it was I, I believe Tobias Harris had the closest contest yeah it was really hard for Pirtle to get anything off ball goes out of bounds off of DeJounte Murray and then basically that's the end technically speaking Joel Embiid made a free throw to end it but 
it, I, so from San Antonio's perspective, I mean, it really is a matter of perspective because they played well. I thought they played hard. They showed good competition. They got a good mix from their from their veterans. You know, DeRozan played another nice game. Rudy Gay, I thought, did well. And and the young guys, I mean, Derek White still to be the biggest takeaway so far, though Keldon Johnson is probably close behind him. But at the same point, it's still a loss in the score sheet. And the story for San Antonio is it's not just about moral victories now because they have a real shot of making at least the play-in game and their schedule's tough but if they had won this one they would have a significantly better chance than they do so it's the one that got away and it's not the most important thing in the world yeah. but it net things things have more stakes for them now than we thought they would yeah i mean they could their schedule gets significantly harder so they did uh, to be so close here and lose it uh, is a massive disappointment they could have pulled within one game of memphis they would have been three and oh memphis would have been oh and three as we'll talk about in their game against new orleans so yeah i mean they may look back on that shake milton three is the reason that they missed the play-in game at a minimum but who knows i mean we could they could lose their next five games you know and it could have never been an issue right i mean this this could be a fluke and they i mean they have been shooting the crap out of it so far i mean it was 12 out of 26 some of these mid-rangers that like rudy gay and DeRozan were hitting in particular uh in that fourth quarter ridiculous now shifting to philly yes it was a ridiculous shooting performance by the spurs yes tj warren had a ridiculous shooting performance against them on saturday you noted the issues that ben simmons was not fantastic really guarding anyone in either of these two games and i will echo the point that i made on the last show that i still don't think he is absolutely at the elite level as an individual defender like him actually a little bit better as a team defender at times but the sixers gave up over the last two fourth quarters they've played a total of 89 points jeez and it's and not this, like it's yeah. not like they were playing world beaters either i mean this yeah. is yeah now, now i guess one thing you could push back on with that is these are teams that are way smaller and kind of crazier than they're going to be playing in the playoffs maybe with the exception of boston because you know it's tj warren at the four miles turner and then jakar sampson at center for indiana and then they're like so you're basically going all offense with that team spurs are going all offense with DeRozan at power forward so these are are very offensively oriented teams even though you don't think oh man look at all this incredible talent like they're kind of going with like a mini wizards of hey these are the players we have we're just gonna punt on defense to some degree and the sixers have actually scored quite well i mean that was that was supposed to be the big bugaboo for them these have been very offensively oriented games so you know maybe you don't take as much out of this these have just been weird games i also think danny i mean to me the most encouraging thing that happened in this game is just as you mentioned that l horford was good he protected the rim really well he had a couple of nice blocks you didn't see just that parade to the basket like you saw when he was in at center with the Pacers out there. And so that that was encouraging. Also, the Horford and Bede minutes were pretty good. Horford ended up at plus 17 in this one. Uh, I'll, still, add, I'll add one more. Yeah. Their guards played a lot better. So yeah, Shake Milton, Milton had a bounce back. Yeah. Milton, six and nine, two of four from from three. Josh Richardson had a couple of moments. Got, got a few, got, he had that two, three stretch. I think that was late in the first quarter. Yeah. He had 10 in the first quarter, but then cooled off to finish five of 15 yeah cork Maz hit a few shots neto hit those two crazy layups the only two shots he hit in the entire game but they got more from those guys than before and that was necessary with simmons having having a rougher night and tobias harris like i continue to, to struggle with kind of how to feel about him you you brought up and it's more extreme with Giannis, where Giannis put up those crazy numbers in that in the loss against Houston. Tobias Harris, I didn't think about him that much other than some nice cuts, and he did have that big defensive play where he was defended on Pirtle on the last possession. Twenty five points, ten of seventeen from the field, only got to the line twice. Like totally efficient, but also never never really the straw stirring the drink, and that's weird for a max contract. But also like it's also weird for a max contract where you gave up all this stuff to get him. But well, now now Cuba, it's not technically a max. I he's like 10 million short of the max but yes it's uh it's it's more than perhaps you would like to be paying yes i think we can agree on a that. significant contract let's let's put it that way so so with philly obviously a lot better to win than to lose especially with indiana winning their game against the team i'm choosing not to mention and that <laughs> And, and so, I mean, they have to kind of keep pace there, especially with the, the tiebreaker going Indiana's way. But I, and, and Horford playing playing better is, is a significant reason to feel positive about it. But it's just, it is it is kind of amazing how often it happens with the Sixers where you walk away even from a win and feel like, ah, do I even feel better about them now? And like I, I do because a loss would have been so much worse, but ah, I don't know. 
The other thing that uh, stuck out to me, actually, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in, in a second, but, you know, Danny and I do a ton of analyzing basketball. We've kind of self-taught in some ways, I, I would say, although obviously we've had many conversations with many smart people over the years uh, to get better, but you don't need to be self-taught. Uh, you can learn at Sports Business Classroom. Go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com. They are going virtual this year. Uh, unfortunately, we can't uh, meet in person at Summer League the way we like to every year, but we're still doing a five-day virtual conference it's august 10th through 14th so you still have time to register and it's at a much more accessible price point since we're doing it virtually this year as well but we're still going to have the same fantastic cast of teachers larry coon the godfather of cba faq is going to be there wes wilcox is going to be heading the scouting and analytics former gm of the hawks and we're still going to make it absolutely as interactive as we can i will be teaching some there as well doing some cba stuff so give it a a shot check it out sportsbusinessclassroom.com it's an immersive five-day program this year and if you do sign up uh, let them know that you came from dunktown so you know i liked that they did some high low stuff you know with especially harris did a lot of posting up with the spurs having all these small guards out there uh, although i didn't i thought that kelton johnson did a good job on him he, he had the size advantage and some of the other guys uh particularly down low he did not have the speed advantage against uh, Derek white who, who defended him well also on the perimeter um it's a good way to kind of get him going and and I like that Philly tries to duck in with smaller players. That's something I think the team should be doing more of now in this smaller NBA with the floor spaced and, you know, having a size mismatch with some of your perimeter guys. But could you just throw it to Joel Embiid? Like, he's never going to have a larger advantage than he had in this game. And yeah, I know he finished with 27 points in 31 minutes and it was his gravity that caused Shake Milton to be wide open for the winning three. But especially in the first half, they really just didn't throw it to him. And then they throw it to him, I think, seven times in the first five minutes of the third quarter and something good happened every time like Jakob Pertl couldn't guard him they went to Drew Eubanks who actually I think has a future in this league but you know he was overmatched trying to guard Joel Embiid as well and they were just forcing double teams and getting wide open threes or Embiid was getting to the foul line or getting very good looks every time and I just I think Brett Brown I think there's a part of him that really wants to move the ball and he wants to keep everyone happy he kind of comes from that Spurs ethos at least the one from earlier in the decade but uh, Joel Embiid is going to be the engine for this Philly team and the more reps that he can get creating efficient offense learning how to deal with double teams having everyone know how to play off of him that to me is what should be their bread and butter particularly if you're only going to play him 31 minutes uh, as they did in this one well, and not only that, but particularly when Philadelphia's half-court offense is not exactly gangbusters. Now, it, it, for overall for the season, and this includes Embiid minutes and non-Embiid minutes, the Sixers were 12th in the league in half-court offense. That's not that's not terrible. Points points per possession about point point nine six. But they're not they're not really doing a ton that's creative. It's not this isn't a team full of great passers or you know like, like all the all the things that you would think of for that sort of a system. And you brought up the point of like on on the cast of like it's not rocket science. Like this is the advantage you have. It just so happens that their other best player, their their number two, isn't great as a half court creator. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel, especially when you don't have anybody capable of reinventing the wheel you know they've been trying all this stuff with shake Bilton and trying to trying to get all these guards in there though they haven't really put a lot of personnel heft behind it after and especially after letting where jimmy butler left whether they let him go or not we don't know and that it is a little bit weird that's like okay well this is what you have especially in the last two games when the teams have just had nobody that can that can touch Embiid. well how, how are we going to roll with that and then we'll see if they have a different approach against the ninth seed in the east on um in in game three and i mean it's going it's going to be i want i want to see where they go when they press this advantage and the reason why it's becoming relevant is the most likely team right now if we had to guess that philly's going to play in the first round is boston and boston is a very good defensive team the biggest button that brett brown can press in that series offensively is feeding joel Embiid. and if he's not willing to do it against the spurs who have one center or the 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 placers who only have one center who fouls out who fouled out almost instantly then i mean what's it gonna take last thing on this i'm i must be getting old because 
last game I said Philly just wasn't ready to play and now this game I'm arguing for them to throw it bond to the big center in the post more often I mean Joel Embiid is the <laughs> exception that proves the rule he's the best thing they have going it's totally reasonable to expect to, to, to think that that's their best track well you said Joel Embiid is the exception that proves the rule but Denver has a center that might want to argue with you because he was absolutely dominant today against Stephen Adams as the very very shorthanded nuggets on the strength of a 30 point triple double from Jokic and 37 points from Michael Porter on 12 of 16 from the field and 9 of 9 from the foul line take care of the thunder in overtime the thunder had their own issues with dennis Schroeder having left the bubble for the birth of his child and that prevented them from deploying their ultra clutch as you like to call it the energizer bunny unit with the three guards at the end uh but this is a, a needed win for denver if they want to stay in position for the three seed they outscore okc 12-4 in the overtime got a a, a bunch of kind of disjointed thoughts uh, on this one but what was your main takeaway Jokic was awesome I, th- I think that's an, an important place to start 10 of 21 from the field but 10 of 11 from the line some really nice passes and he's the straw that stirs the drink for them it's he he thrives differently than Joel Embiid but Jokic is the hub he's he, he's he's the whole damn thing and I thought that he he did a really nice job and Porter Jr.'s night was impressive. Well, let, let me say a, sure. bit, a bit more on Jokic yeah. first. So, you know, I always, this is something that Ethan Strauss alerted me to, that Nikola Jokic usually seems to play pretty well against OKC, and Denver usually plays well against them. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, the cast of characters really change in OKC. Is that still going to be true? Well, for whatever reason, Nikola Jokic just always seems to dominate Steven Adams, who, who struggled to a negative 18 in this one. Jokic is a wonderful defensive rebounder. He was just vacuuming up everything with those awesome water polo mitts on the defensive glass and then he's just going right through Stephen Adams in the post he's coming off the screens his quickness was in evidence as well as he was spinning past Adams I think actually the skinny Jokic some wondered well is he gonna lose some of the power well he still was going through Stephen Adams just fine and then he's also beating him with some quickness moves as well he's moving more off the ball and then he also had his ridiculous I don't know what it is like his brain is just wired differently somehow that he can shoot these fadeaway jump shots like it's like a Dirk fadeaway but it's a right-handed guy shooting it off his right leg not his left leg it's just we need a nickname for this shot it's so awesome but uh he hit that really to ice the game oh oh, it uh, it has one it's the sambor shuffle that's what adam modest calls it s-a-m-b-o-r s-o-m-b-o-r what does it mean i do not know it doesn't uh, i mean i'd assume that's like some kind of serbian thing it's a city in serbia uh, so maybe, maybe okay. yeah. presumably where he's from I presumably would, I but yeah because because it was funny i talked about how ridiculous that shot was and i i mean i've seen him do it before and all the nice it's like oh yeah that's a, that's that's kind of a thing um but yeah you're gonna transition into porter though. yeah so michael porter you talked about the thir- the 37 on 12 of 16 from the field six of six in the restricted area and then just just drilled his jump shots at one point i i, I made a comment about like he, he dribbled up and he he didn't even look at anybody else and drilled the pull-up three that said like he actually did look for teammates at moments this wasn't the this wasn't the extreme kind of like selfish version of michael porter though he earned some of that by how by how dominant he was as a scorer yeah if you're shooting 12 out of 16 maybe you could be more selfish but no, no, I do think he he's definitely aware that those have been criticisms of, of him. I think that's part of why he fell in the draft. I think one executive described him to me at the time as thinking that the world really revolves around Michael Porter. And he made a point to say it in the third person, too. <laughs> that, that's how Michael Porter would probably say it. But, you know, that, that was a couple of years ago. I think, you know, these injury issues and his time on the bench and, and having to earn some time this year has been good for him. And, and he really struggled in their first game as they got blown out by Miami, but it had a nice comeback here. And yeah, he even, you know, passed up a couple of decent looks. One, he had a nice backdoor to Monte Morris for a foul. Another time Morris was open in the corner, even though Porter was open as well. He probably should have actually taken the shot, but he was still looking for his teammate, despite uh, both of the, at that time, he'd already blown well past his career high. And so really though, the shot making from Porter is just 
fantastic. He played a what surely was a career high 44 minutes in this one. I mean, some of the shots that he was hitting, you know, pick and pop fading away stepping back didn't even have his feet set for a three it loved the fact that he got some more three pointers up uh if he once he really learns how to work off the ball and he's starting to get a nice cutting understanding with Jokic but once he figures out how to like manipulate the defense and come off of screens and really use screens for jump shots at 610 with his leaping ability it's going to be impossible to stop him and that's something that I, I think you know I hadn't been first I was way higher on Porter I thought it was ridiculous that he dropped to 14 then I saw him last year I'm like hey he doesn't really look the same athletically like let's slow our roll on him a little bit and then you know he had moments this year he was pretty efficient but also really struggled to execute well enough to stay on the floor and now though seeing him in the scrimmage games and in this game he's back athletically like he is back to the guy that I remember from that spectacular Nike hoop summit that he had uh, back in 2017 which was the best week of practice I'd ever seen anyone have at the Nike hoop summit in like the six years that I've been going and so with that type of bounce and his shot making and you know hopefully getting a better understanding of how to play it was he still has a long way to go defensively but he didn't kill them at least in this game down the stretch you know he doesn't play crunch time very often and uh i think his future is very bright uh despite his rather ridiculous views on the coronavirus which i having a covet pot i have to talk about but uh yeah i i really was impressed by him and he's going to continue to be inconsistent but you know he he and Jokic basically won them this game a, while, a little while ago during the hiatus Adam Artis and I talked about Porter and the significance, and I think he's the one who articulated this better than I did, which is basically that their clearest path Denver's to becoming a, a higher level team, and not that there's anything wrong with being the potential three seed in the Western Conference, they were the two seed last year and all that, but to really get into another level, wasn't Nikola Jokic going ev- to being even better than he was, or maybe not even Jamal Murray taking leap, it was Michael Porter Jr., because he can give them an element that they don't really have right now and just make them such an undeniable offense that maybe they can get into that and be good enough defensively to make it work. I thought that, for me, the most significant tactical decision of this game was not made by Denver. We haven't talked a lot about OKC, and that came from Billy Donovan. And Billy Donovan did something that you and I talk about so damn much, and Seth Partnow has done a great job talking about this too, which is when you have a player who is important, who is in foul trouble, and the game is on the line. In this case, it was actually in the early part of the fourth quarter when Chris Paul was resting. If you're cautious with them in foul trouble, because Shea had had five fouls in this time, if you're cautious with them, it's not going to matter that you have them late because the game's going to be over Shea stayed in helped keep them you know treading water yeah, staying and, and with no Schroeder like Chris Paul had to rest he's not going to play that many minutes although he played 39 in the end with the overtime but like they don't have anyone else like they needed him out there at that time or it was going to be a disaster yeah so, so, so it is exactly it's exactly what you said that if they don't play him at that time they're sunk and so they kept Shea out there he played a lot of minutes in the fourth quarter did a nice job kept things moving ended up with 24 points 6 of 13 from the field and yeah he was killing in that in that very period yes he was and and so and it wasn't like oh they you know Shea was out there and he pushed Oklahoma City I don't think I don't think they ever led by more than a couple points during that stretch but if he hadn't been on the floor they would have been down eight and if they're down eight then they're probably not coming back and I thought that he did a nice job I thought that Billy Donovan's process there was good my single favorite part of this game was a very short board and for those who know me well you won't be surprised by this chris paul on a couple of possessions went one-on-one with bull bull and chris paul doesn't give a (laughs) shit how tall you are chris paul is going to get to his spots and he's going to shoot over you because that's what he's been doing his whole life and he did that i think it was twice over bull bull and i was just delighted yeah and bull negative eight in four minutes and you know certainly was miscast in that and we saw porter trying to guard chris paul too like you know these young dudes they haven't been watching Chris Paul for 15 years the way we have and know that you got to keep him off of his right hand in an ISO. And so he would fake to the left, cross over to his right, and either get to that jump shot going to his right or get it in the lane. And, and Paul certainly looked very spry in this one, to be sure. Gilgis Alexander, a little more about how he was playing so well just in pick and roll he was really abusing mason Plumley, who can has a habit of kind of not really trapping the ball but also getting too high out on the floor so that the guard can blow by him in pick and roll as well and he also hit a couple of threes when the defense went under really excellent game for gilgis alexander um i got a few more observations any other big ones for you though Abdul Nader, I thought I thought he did he did better than I expected. Hit a couple of, hit a couple of threes when it looked like the Thunder were a little bit listless. He ended up with three of four from long distance and. 
I'm just happy, even though he didn't have a great game, I'm just happy to see Andre Robertson on the floor. This was, this was the first Thunder game that I got to see extended because I was, I was out of town for a lot of the scrimmage games, and I, it just made me happy. Yeah, this was the second game he had played in but he really played uh only in garbage time against utah but yeah he, the the numbers were pretty ugly with him out there i wasn't as focused in uh, on that first half when he was in there um but i think you know he took some minutes from mike muscala who only played one minute well Mus- I, yeah muscala I, yeah. suffered concussion like symptoms after taking i believe it was taking a charge he took a big fall and uh and so he didn't come yeah. back in the game so that might have been why we we saw more of robertson in fact um the end of the game was not really very exciting as far as regulation there were four fouls that led to free throws in the last minute of the game and the refs were a little whistle happy and this one i gotta say seth partno wrote a piece about how fouls are way up by almost i think 10 per game so far one idea that's been posited is that because there isn't the crowd noise that you can actually hear the slaps more often but it's really actually it seems like non-shooting fouls that are up more i think we're calling this it always annoys me when there's just so many non-shooting fouls called um and maybe this is the rest trying to set a tone and yes you know these guys are both fresh and ready ready to get out there and pressure up a lot and also are not used to playing NBA competition so they're just kind of forgotten what a foul is and maybe the refs need to bring that back to them um but yeah and the the Chris Paul they're down one he draws just a ridiculous Chris Paul floptastic bonus foul on Paul Millsap but Paul Millsap has no right to complain because Paul Millsap had just like the slightest forearm on Chris Paul and Paul Millsap tries to accentuate that contact every time when he's on offense so he he has no room to complain and so Paul justly missed one of the two free throws he could have really won the game for OKC but if you look more deeply into the shooting numbers OKC not a good shooting team 42 percent from three um and Danilo Gallinari was, was pretty good there. I shouldn't say OKC is not a good shooting team they have some good shooters they also have some bad shooters uh and then Denver was seven out of 25 and from three and so you look at that and Denver won it anyway but if the shooting were a little more equal, this could have been a, a comfortable victory for the Nugs. Yeah, and the non the non Michael Porters were three of nineteen for Denver. But you think about also who was absent for them: Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Will Barton. That would have helped their three point shooting yeah. just just a, a teensy bit. Yeah, I mean their closing lineup in this game uh, is Monty Morris at the one, Michael Porter Jr. at two, Jeremy Grant at the three, Millsap at the four, and Jokic at the five. So not it. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is probably a four, <laughs> frankly. So we have seen some teams with a lot of guards or, or a lot of bigs due to injuries. Last thing I'll say is Oklahoma City really missed Schroeder, both on the second unit, but also as part of that Energizer Bunning unit. And, you know, I'd forgotten at first when I looked, I was like, ooh, see, OKC, their clutch luck is running out. But no, it's not actually that same unit that's been out there. And Lou Dort had some powerful drives in this game, but he was not getting guarded at all in crunch time. And so OKC was getting a lot of switches offensively. They're trying to like dump it into the post and someone would just come over off of Dort from the weak side as they were fronting the post prevent him from entering it they threw it to Dort on the weak side a couple of times he missed a, a couple of threes and you know he, his three-pointer is still a big work in progress so he was uh quite a downgrade from what Schroeder would give them and certainly the depth for OKC is a concern if they have really one injury among their top five guys there is a massive drop off and we saw that tonight yeah and also like it's not like they needed Dort's defense in in some of those lineups because yeah. well is there someone else that you would have played no no nader maybe eh, he was shooting it well he was shooting it well but i mean he has other limitations and i basically didn't didn't really do much for me in this one either do you want do you want to go to memphis uh, speaking of teams that have trouble shooting uh let's do that in just a moment here yeah you mentioned before the break that memphis struggled to shoot the ball and this is something i was extremely concerned about them when jaron jackson went down during the regular year and they actually righted the ship and didn't do too poorly but i think it's worth remembering and yeah you know memphis had two really close losses and this was not a blowout if they'd shot better than 28 percent from three this might have been a closer game than it was in the end however this is not the same memphis team that had a stretch where they are one of the best offenses in the nba there's no more jay crowder and you might say oh jay crowder he's not that good of a shooter uh well compared to brandon clark actually he is uh well, or kyle so, anderson or yeah yeah, yeah. 
exactly um and, and even solomon hill was someone who got ticked for them too both those guys are now in miami so the shooting uh, is definitely a problem for memphis 96 offensive rating against a new orleans team that had gotten torched pretty badly in the first couple of games um what else did you want to hit on here i, I was going to focus on, on the knights for john morant and zion williamson well when i brought up the shooting i wasn't as much thinking about memphis's three-point shooting they were they were that 12 of 43 overall six of 27 on two-pointers out of the restricted area is a Woof. huge problem. We brought up Dylan Brooks's limitations on that end. They, I mean, Brandon Clark was okay, but then Ja, I mean, Ja was four of four of eleven. They had a, a lot of guys who just didn't really have it from two in this one. And Dylan Brooks, yeah, Ja. By the way, overall, Ja struggled to five of twenty-one, including one of ten from three. That ten has got to be a, a career high by quite a bit from three, I would imagine. Yeah, and I mean, some credit to Drew Holiday for making life for making life hard on him. Dylan. Yeah, I mean, I I watched the film pretty closely. I'm around. I got some more thoughts on that. But yeah. you're saying about Brooks? No, I, I mean he like, again. He like he's not a bad not a bad player. I mean, I think he deserves the contract he got, but he has some limitations, and I think we saw some of that in this one. Yeah, he fouled out again. Definitely. I mean, he's basically the most foul happy wing player in the league at this point. Now, at least the, the good news was Grayson Allen had a, a second straight respectable game. He was five of six from three, basically the only one who get anything going. And I mean, for ACC watchers who have loved to hate Duke over the years. I don't know how they must have felt watching J.J. Redick and Grayson Allen guarding each other. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Luke Kennard, sadly not in the bubble to, to join in on the fun. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get back to Jaws night here. That 5 of 21 is real ugly. He did have eight assists. He played 39 minutes, so they definitely bumped his minutes up. Negative uh, 12, only 11 points. I didn't think that like he was getting shut down. A lot of those threes that he took were open spot up threes, and they weren't bad misses. They just kind of curled out. You know, I think his mantra has been to take some more threes, particularly when the defense goes under. You know, he wasn't hitting those tonight, and he's because for context, I think he's only taking like two threes a game on average this year. And you know, I think when he tried to go at Holiday, I thought he was able to get some penetration. His finishing, you know, has not been quite what it was i think before the break and his floater game was really off too you know some floaters that he usually would hit like 50 percent of he was probably like 0 for 5 on those or something like that um so i think it was just a bad night in terms of shot making i wasn't like horrified at the quality of shots that, that he was getting even if it is more three-pointers than he would normally be taking i wouldn't point to any of them as like particularly bad shots and one of those was a was a heave but uh, so that, that was my thoughts on his I thought he still passed the ball pretty well and just one of those nights uh, for him uh, that that would be more my conclusion than that he got like I mean obviously playing yeah. going into true holiday is hard and I also think that like many teams Memphis could do some guard screening to give Ja an easier matchup before they go into their pick and roll game so he doesn't have to just start from scratch against someone as good as Drew Holiday every time like you know I know John Morant is enough confidence that he thinks he can beat anyone but you know just make it a little easier for me i think it's it's not a surprise too that you know taylor jenkins kind of comes from that mike budenholzer school where they're not really trying to get a specific matchup you know they don't think that way necessarily so uh those are my thoughts uh on the grizz um let's so let's jump to yeah. let's jump to zion the other south carolina potential rookie of the year candidate this was the first of the bubble games that zion actually played sometime other than the beginning of a quarter he came in in the fourth and I thought it was a, a solid overall overall night for him. Still defensive limitations. We it wouldn't be the first time, but I thought that he rebounded in the early part of the game. He was struggling getting it, getting his shot blocked, and then I, I thought you know nine to twenty one. It, it's not his best night, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I thought he still provided a boost for New Orleans offensively. Yeah, he rebounded figuratively. He's he's wasn't uh, still not great on the defensive glass. So he did have three offensive rebounds. It started incredibly poorly for Zion and. You know, I think he, he hasn't looked good at the start. You know, he was kind of discombobulated early in that first game that he came back against the Spurs, too, before he hit those threes. And, I mean, it's not a surprise. He he's, doesn't have the type of body, I think, that stays in elite condition naturally. And he basically had eight days of complete inactivity that he's trying to recover from. Uh, well, he said he had basically no basketball activities when he was away for that family absence. And so he is someone who is very dependent on 
being at his best physically that he's a skilled player but that's uh, the main thing that he has going for him right now and he started atrociously uh, you know finished up 23 points 9 of 21 5 of 10 from the foul line so I mean that's pretty incredible to have 26 shooting possessions in 25 minutes and two turnovers uh, as well and five assists and I continue to think of how crazy it is the amount of shots that he's able to generate just with his movement and, and attacking the basket he just took one three everything else was right at the rim but he missed his first four shots all of them were blocked and then the fifth one he bobbled it and lost it out of bounds as he was about to get a shot blocked so it was a really really rough start for him he just kept going right into well, two guys and he also had yeah. two turnovers that weren't turnovers because the ball bounced around and ended up being caught by a pelican so like there could it could have been yeah. even worse too yeah I, I agree and so he really was kind of just jumping into the body of Valanchunas and then Jaron Jackson would come over and block the shot and part of it too is you know he's playing with favors and there's not as much space around the rim but Valanchunas is a pretty big body I mean he's not Brooke Lopez but he's a guy who if you try to go through his chest maybe you're not going to move him as much as I would expect to move someone and then by the end of the game though he looked better he had a, a stretch where he had three straight assists including a play where he just completely obliterated someone on a screen for Redick I think he and Redick can really start to work together they also did the old pick and roll play where Redick sets a screen at the foul line that they used to run with Ben Simmons and Philly and now they ran it for uh, Zion as the ball handler that's something I'd like to see a lot more of and he started to look a little more explosive. You know, it, one thing I was seeing is that early in these first couple of games, he was only effective when he could get directly to his left hand going left. And then he started to find towards the end here, enough explosiveness going to his right that he was able to find ways to finish. And I mean, he's not going to give up. He's been able to just go through dudes and score at the rim his entire life. And he's just going to do it. He doesn't care who's there. And more times than not, it's going to work out for him. There were some ugly moments uh, pretty early on here, but then towards the end, particularly once Valanchunas was out at the end you know he he had a nice stretch as they actually let him close the game and, and he helped him uh finish it off and then brandon ingram also uh, had a really nice game he was probably the pell's best player in this one with 24 points yeah ingram had 24 points despite only taking two shots in the restricted area because he got to the line 10 times i think that really helped ingram but yeah continuing to make gains with the jump shot continuing to distribute at least a little bit and something else that i liked about new orleans game was that alvin gentry played his big men less Favors, Melly, and Jackson Hayes had it just barely over a combined 48 minutes. And I mean, you've, you've talked before about how Melly's a little bit superfluous. Reddick played more, played 29 minutes. That was more than Hayes and Melly combined. Josh Hart got plenty of time. And yeah, Josh Hart was really good in the, in this one also. Yes, he was. Um, you know, I think he's someone that he had 15 points on five of six and uh, each one more did not play at all. I think in part because uh, Hart had played so well. Yeah. And so Gentry can rely more on those guys. I think that can be a part of their success moving forward forward and along those lines something i was just looking at is new orleans new orleans opponents the rest of the way are not exactly formidable front courts the the strongest front court they play in their remaining five games and they have they're the only team with an opponent winning percentage under 50 percent it's uh i believe it's 42.5 percent for them is the strongest front court they play is orlando and it's just other than that it's mostly teams that are playing a small guy at the four and i have no idea how they're going to try to defend new orleans yeah so let's talk about it here new orleans remaining schedule is sacramento washington san antonio sacramento orlando they're gonna be favored in all five of those games particularly i mean this is thursday is their next game so they actually have two games off as well that can hopefully let zion get back in a condition he played the 25 minutes tonight uh so that is a recipe to get healthy yeah i mean uh, who the hell is san antonio gonna put on zion williamson you know we didn't really see many post-ups for zion in this game because memphis really was playing with two bigs most of the time but yeah we're well, uh who the hell's gonna, gonna be Zion's their help gonna who's gonna be off. their help defenders like yeah. <laughs> what's gonna happen there and then so if you want to turn to the other side of that die i don't want to get too much you know, how far we want to get into the busha memphis's schedule jazz thunder raptors celtics bucks and we don't know how hard those eastern conference teams are going to be trying at the end they could all have their seating locked up by the time memphis plays them but in the abstract can make a pretty sound argument that memphis will not be favored in any of their five remaining games yeah so despite all the theatrics even if you look at 538's elo projection 
projections the, the raptor likes the pels a lot more but 538's elo projections do still project the pels to finish 32 and 40 which would be a half game ahead of san antonio so you see how big that spurs loss was tonight and the pels are only a half game behind san antonio right now um blazers still a little bit behind also although they do have that tie break advantage but they they have a very hard schedule as well so right now it's still projected to be grizz and pels grizz are only projected to win two more games but they had such a, a nice lead they're still gonna finish a game and a half ahead of the pels according to this and this actually surprisingly enough only projects the pels to go three and two the rest of the way and I think that I think that might be negative, and I think the Grizzlies going two and three might be generous. Yeah, and the Spurs are projected to go two and three. Blazers are projected to go two and four. Yeah, Grizzlies going two and three might be generous. So it's not totally out of the realm of possibility yet that the Pels could even get into the eighth seed, even after these two losses. Because again, I mean, there's a reason. Yeah, if they had, I think if they had won that first game against Utah, they'd really be sitting pretty right now. And of course, you know, it is the Pels. <laughs> Let's not like write them in. They've uh, had a lot of talent before and not been able to come through. But the, I think they still, as of now, and maybe this could change if the Blazers get some luck in terms of teams not really trying that hard against them but the Pels are still looking decent for it getting into that play in at a minimum two two games to circle for I think this will probably be late late in or either over the weekend or late or early next week San Antonio New Orleans in both of their sixth games and then yeah. Portland Philadelphia in I believe both of their six games because that Portland Philly game could end up swinging the four five six in the east and potentially Portland's viability in the nine and then San Antonio New Orleans that might be the game that decides the nine seed couple of quick hitters here the Lakers took care of Utah thus clinching the number one seed uh, Anthony Davis after only seven shot attempts in his last game went 13 of 28 from the field 12 of 15 from the line for 42 points LeBron still you know 35 minutes but 22 points nine assists I mean it's not you know he hasn't been dominant yet uh, meanwhile the Jazz they fall to one and two in the bubble even with a, a better performance this time around against the Lakers Lakers have not shot it well Jazz really haven't shot it well they were 12 out of 43 from downtown actually I think they're identical to what the Grizz were at 27.9% and that's the big reason they lost they they really struggled against New Orleans the other night too and were lucky to beat them despite terrible three-point shooting uh Indiana took care of Washington TJ Warren 40 minutes 34 points that was outstanding Malcolm Brogdon returned from a neck issue Victor Oladipo did not play as planned rest due to a the Pacers being on the first end of a back-to-back against Washington and actually Washington was tied with them after three they actually Washington actually led by double digits at halftime uh no I'm sorry I misspoke there uh it was about tied at halftime Indiana went up 13 Jesus what am I talking about here that's almost so bad I consider cutting it but no you shall see what happens after uh five hours a day of talking it wasn't close it was a 20-point game after three and washington made it semi-respectable in the fourth and and the final game we'll discuss was the first game of the day i love watching defense i enjoyed watching raptors eat quite a bit and just the the challenges that each of them throws at each other including og and anobi spending some time guarding bam which was pretty fun but fred van vliet i thought was really the, was really the star of this one or fred velvet as your former SBC student dave dufour called him at one point during the game 36 points 8 of 16 from the field 7 to 12 from three also made all 13 of his free throws had a big deflection and steal late in this one and i i i just love watching this raptors team play defense i thought they did well i thought uh goran dragic had some moments taylor hero had some moments but Kendrick Nunn I thought he had trouble containing Van Vliet that's one of the like the there aren't that many weak points in Miami's defense but I worry about Nunn and Robinson as successful as they've been you know in the pressure cooker of having to defend really good people all the time and Marcus Ole not a great offensive game but he's so talented defensively and you could see you could see the difference in him being on the floor there that was something I noticed and Abaka had another had, had a good game in my, like offensively at least for me so yeah it was a fun one um I I would it would be interesting to see these teams play with a little bit more on the line of just because of the, the how hard they play and how well they, you know, kind of like the culture execution type stuff here, both great coaches. So I enjoyed watching it a lot. I don't know how many long-term ripple effects it's going to have, but I can lay out kind of how it affected the East 
playoff mix if you want. All right, I got a couple other notes on this one too. Sure. You said you love watching the Toronto Raptors play defense. I'll tell you who doesn't love watching the Toronto Raptors play defense, and that's Duncan Robinson. Oh, or really? Man. Any, I, 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 any, thank you for bringing yeah, it up. Yeah, any off ball shooter type. And we saw, you know, Fred Van Vliet, it just gets in that guy's jersey. And, you know, Steph Curry is an all time great player. He had, I think, an underrated series last year, although his game six was a little underwhelming. But Duncan Robinson just, you know, didn't close the game, couldn't get going. He was one of five, one of four from three. I mean, he just couldn't even get a touch. It was uh, is outstanding work from uh, the Raptors in this one. Yeah, I thought that the way they took Duncan Robinson out of this game was was really impressive. And to neutralize what has been such an advantage for Miami through execution and effort, and it was just it was just it was impressive. I, I love watching Toronto play. Now you know there's been some crowing. All right, you're underrating the Raptors. They've had certainly a wonderful start to the bubble, to be sure. They also shot 37 percent from two in this game. You, you know, and 16 to 32 from three. They they don't win it without that Siakam four of seven from three you can't count on that Van Vliet was seven of 12 from downtown he also somehow Fred Van Vliet got 13 free throw attempts yes he did on his way to, to 36 points you know again we're, we're seeing a lot of free throw attempts uh, in the bubble so far but let's slow down here a, a little bit uh, Raptors because you need to win games when it's not you don't just have shoot 50 percent from three and uh they're gonna have to find a way other than getting a crap load of free throws and three pointers to actually make a two-point shot and that's where you know really Siakam is their only guy who's a reliable option for that I will do an abridged version unless you have more notes on this game of the kind of the no, I'm good on this the of, of where things stand east is very simple Bucks Raptors Celtics are basically the one two three either the magic or the Nets will be the they'll be the seven and eight in either configuration so then really the the movement now is the is the four five six so Miami is one game ahead of the Pacers for four and they're one game ahead of the Sixers plus that tiebreaker for five and Philly has the easiest schedule I believe of the three Miami has the hardest Miami is the third hardest schedule in the NBA oh something you bring up with Memphis Memphis's opponent winning percentage for the remaining five games 69 percent it's it's truly incredible they have that, that that's that's it for them so we'll have to see how that works out but so the east is pretty straightforward it's just going to be how do how do those three teams square whoever does the worst of that group will face the Celtics whoever doesn't do the worst will face each other and then in the east in the west we know the lakers now they're going to be the number one seed the clippers might still have to fight off denver we'll, we'll see if they have to do it but I, I think the clippers will do they'll do just fine then now the rockets jazz and thunder are all within a game of each other and just like in the east that's the four five six so the winner the the team the teams that do the best face each other the team that does the worst probably faces the nuggets unless the nuggets can move up or, or and they're close enough where there's a little bit more movement than the celtics then memphis is two games up on the blazers spurs Pel- and blazers and spurs and then we can go going but what i think is striking there is now by virtue of memphis losing all three games so far in the bubble the games that count every single western conference team at that bottom all the teams that were invited are within four games of memphis so that means we are basically assured that there will be a playing game because if you're the way you're going to not have a playing game is memphis does better than everybody and does better than the teams that are close to them by two plus games it's not going to happen so we'll get a play in Memphis. They have to awesome. They have to fight hard to get the to get the eight because the eight is a huge advantage. That's how they structured this. So I think we're I th- we're going to see a dead sprint from all these teams because I think a lot of them are going to be competitive for for at least another few. And so I, I'm really excited about the way that the West is breaking right now. Even though I have sympathy for Memphis because they did have they did have such a lead. But if you remember that the this structure is tough for them because they play a lot of good teams. But they had a they had a, a much harder schedule and like the pelicans in particular would have had more time to catch them if we hadn't truncated the season yeah my only disappointment was the mavs losing their first two games if i wish they had been in it a little bit more for but uh, that is going to give us i think a much more interesting first round series between they and the clippers than you know if it were say the clippers and okc or something where i, I would have expected the clippers to roll in that so maybe at least we'll get some good games out of that uh if you want to watch some good games next chance to do so is on league pass with us 2 30 eastern time memphis 
and Utah. Critical game for both teams. Love me some John Morant. We got a chance to see that. Donovan Mitchell, who uh, had probably the best dunk that we've ever live called that off the backboard job in the 2018 playoffs against Houston. And we hope you'll join us. We really appreciate all of your support. You can always either purchase that single game on, on League Pass, or you can even just watch it later as well if you're going to be at work at that time. And uh, really excited the NBA has given us three more games to work with here. And hopefully your continued support will mean that this uh, continues to be a regular thing into next season so thanks for listening and we will talk to you all tomorrow till then